0: some empty
1: Lord you have overcome we are your people we come to you today welcome Wheaton Bible Church and everyone watching today joining us we are glad that you're joining us to worship the Lord and especially in the midst of times that we are living we look to him we look to him for our hope we look to him for answers we look to him for refuge and we trust him because he is with us he is close to his people He has not abandoned us. So we cry out to him. And what a joy that we are able to do this today. What a joy that we're able to gather, even online, to set our eyes on Jesus, to set our eyes on him. So we declare these words together from Psalm 125, the first two verses, and do it in faith. We say, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. We thank you, Lord, that you surround us with your love, with your power. You are with us and for us. You are good. We trust you.
2: Have lived In the goodness of God So we sing my we running these words from our God to his people from Isaiah he tends his flock like a shepherd he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart he gently leads those who have young so do not fear for I am with you do not be dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you who I'm a, I have upheld since birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Thank you, Lord.
0: Tchau,
3: And that is our declaration this morning that you are our stronghold that you are where we find rest and it's in you Father that we find our way so Father let that rest in us today and continue to do your work as you're moving, Father, in this place and in our homes this morning, to whoever is streaming, to whoever is worshiping with us this morning, and churches worldwide, Father, that is our declaration. Our strength is in you, and you guide our way. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross this morning. We love you. We worship in your name. Amen.
4: Hello church, I hope you're doing great wherever you are. My name is Saul Flores and I'm the high school program coordinator at Puente del Pueblo. And um, if you're new here, I want to tell you we're very happy that you're joining us today online. Uh, But also we'd love to get to know you and connect with you. So I'm going to ask you to send a text with the word GIFT to 630-260-1600. And we're going to do two things. We're going to send a gift your way just to say welcome to our church. And also we're going to ask you to pick one of our nonprofit local nonprofit partners. And we're going to send them a one-time gift. Now for those of you who have been supporting our community through our church, I have great news for you. God is at work as we heard in the last song. And uh, this summer uh, you probably have, been thinking, where is Puente del Pueblo, and you have heard in the last weeks that we're working to provide uh, resources for families in our area. But what you know Puente most is probably for or after-school programs. Now, while schools are closed, we have to figure out how we're going to support and, and care for these kids um, that we serve at Puente. And we got a lot of um, Zoom accounts, and we connected with them, and we were uh, constant helping them with their academics and applying for colleges. And uh, a lot of our mentors were a lot of help uh, to support emotionally to all of our students in the midst midst of everything that is going. Now, in the midst of everything that is going, we also had eight students graduate from high school, and they're all on their way to college. You're going to see their pictures here, and these are eight amazing students who have worked so hard for years some of them have been with us since elementary Uh, you're going to see right here after this uh, pictures a video of two students that have been with us since second and fourth grade so uh, let's let's let, let me give you some time for them to speak to you
2: Hi everyone, I'm Ruby Romero, and I just want to thank everyone in Puente del Pueblo for being such an amazing organization and has helped me throughout my whole life. Um, They have given me opportunities for school, taught me English, and then so much more that will definitely help me in college and in the professional world. I cannot thank them enough and they have become like a second family to me. Um, Thank you and have a great day. Stay blessed, everyone.
3: Hi, my name is George Calderon. I've been in Puente since fifth grade, and I'm a fresh graduate from West Chicago Community High School. I will attend Aurora University in the fall while majoring in nursing, and I just wanted to give a huge thanks to all the volunteers and anyone associated with Puente. Um, I don't think I'd be the person uh, I am today if if it wasn't for all of you guys and gals. Uh, I also want to thank Wheaton Bible Church for all that it's done for me and giving uh, us an opportunity uh, that's such an amazing program. I hope you guys are doing well, and uh, thank you. Now, thank
4: you, church, for your generosity, especially during these times. Now, will you prayfully consider giving to the church? There are three ways you can do it. You can text Witten Bible to 77977, or you can go online to wetombible.org give and, and make your donation there. Or also, you can mail us a check. I'm going to ask Pastor Rob to come up and pray for the offerings we're about to receive.
5: Thank you, Saul. And would you bow with me and let's pray together. Father, we marvel at the grace you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. To think that at the center of the universe is a God who is unfailing in his love whose unfailing love is priceless, as the psalmist tells us. As another psalm goes on to say, the eyes of the Lord are on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. We ask that grace today, that we would see you as a God who overflows with love, even when we are going through difficulty and times of uncertainty like we are facing as our country and as countries around the world right now. Thank you for the promise of your word that your love is constant. It is unending. It is not contingent upon who we are or what we do, but it has come to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross in dying in our place for our sins, in you raising him from the dead, And Jesus now being at your right hand. And so we honor you and we worship you for this plan of salvation. That the moment we believe in Jesus, we find forgiveness and eternal life. That we find hope. And we thank you, God, that your love will not fail. Oh God, help us to see that, to believe that, to taste that. We confess to you our fears in this moment. We confess to you our anger, our frustration. Father, I want to pray for people in our church family, uh, uh, people that are uh, watching uh, this streaming and pray that you would comfort them in the midst of their pain. Some have experienced job losses. Others are facing health issues. Others are just struggling with, um, what do I do next? And uh, others uh, looking on the landscape of the United States and the riding and the difficulty. It's all uh, heart-wrenching, God. But we thank you that you are the king and you are a good king and you love us. And we pray, God, uh, that you would give our government leaders wisdom in this moment. Wisdom relative to the pandemics, a wisdom relative to the racial tension. We pray for our local, our state, our national leaders, guide them and direct them. We pray, God, that you would stem COVID-19 and we would see the incidence of infection and the deaths continue to slide, continue uh, to drop. We pray, God, uh, for uh, people that have been infected and ask that you would bring healing. We pray for our healthcare workers and others that are on front lines in a bunch of different ways. And we thank you that the incidence of infection is so very low. We pray that you would continue to protect them and honor them. We pray in this moment that the church of Jesus Christ would shine. That we would be seen as the hope of the world. And people would see in us hope, not fear, not anger. And we ask God that you would do that by filling us with the Spirit. As the Spirit points us to your Son. And so we thank you now for this moment to look into your word and pray that you would use it to speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, in the absence of sports, uh, because so many of you, like me, are experiencing a withdrawal from the lack of sports, I want to tell you a sports story. I want to begin with one. It's about basketball and a man named Tom Amberry. Tom was 6'7". He was smart and he was driven, but he was never quite good enough to play basketball at the D1 level in college, let alone the NBA. So Tom became a doctor and decade after decade took wonderful care of his patients, helping them, encouraging them. But then Tom moved into retirement and in retirement he returned to basketball and pursued his passion to perfect the free throw shot. Boom. And that is exactly what he did. In 1993, he set the Guinness Book of World Records for consecutive free throws, making 2,750, and he did it at the age of 71. On 431 different occasions, Dr. Tom made 500 or more consecutive free throws. He developed videos on perfecting the free throw shot. He uh, wrote books. He became a consultant to the likes of the Chicago Bulls. All of this when he was in his 70s. Now today we are uh, back in our series on wisdom from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And in light of all that we have going on in our culture and cultures, I can't think of a better subject to be thinking about. After all, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is about how to live life with competence, how to do what's best, how to handle your circumstances in good times and difficult times, whatever your circumstances are. And I know many of you, whether you're young students or older senior adults, often at certain times in life have a pit in your stomach because you're facing something and you need wisdom in knowing how to deal with it and you know in that moment that you don't have it. So today we're going to look at what wisdom can teach us and I want you to know that what Tom Amberry is to the free throw shot Our section, Proverbs 8 and 9, is to wisdom and therefore to life. But before we begin, I want to begin with two introductory uh, statements to help us understand these two chapters. And here's the first, Proverbs 8 and 9 are a transition. They're a transition from the first half of the book to the second half of the book. In the first nine chapters of Proverbs, we have lengthy statements or or discussions demonstrating the different ways that wisdom is more priceless than gold. Now this contrast between how important wisdom is uh, relative to the assets or to the money we have is an important one for me. It hits me up close and personal. Because my father was a very talented man. He came from a, a family that had um, uh, a reasonable wealth. But he drank himself to death in his late 30s. Because he had zero wisdom. Nothing is more important for you and me. Good times and difficult times. Confusing times like this time than acquiring wisdom. And that's true whether you're short on money or you have tons of money. And that's what we find here in these chapters, in the first nine chapters. Beginning in chapter 10, where we will go beginning next week and beyond, we come to the short wisdom statements that make Proverbs Famous. Statements like a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And what chapters 8 and 9 do for us is they come at the end and they form a a hinge, if you will, to the rest of the book. They lay a spiritual foundation. Because if we understand what's going on here, if we understand the concepts of the first nine chapters, and for us, chapters 8 and 9 today, then we will be able to apply effectively. Chapters 10 through 31. The second thing I want you to understand is Proverbs 8 and 9 are poetic. Now, I don't mean that they rhyme, but what I mean is they're full of pictures and images and figures of speech. I'm not a poetry guy, but I love uh, these two chapters. So for example... One of the dominant figures in Proverbs 8 and 9 is that wisdom is pictured as a strong and noble woman. But even more fundamentally, underneath the surface, wisdom points us to Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's been said that you can almost always substitute Jesus for the word wisdom here. Because according to the New Testament, wisdom has walked out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So wisdom here in the book of Proverbs is walking out to you. In Jesus. And you'd be a fool not to act on it. Because nothing, nothing is more important than acquiring it. So let's begin by reading in Proverbs chapter 8, and verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. "'Counsel and sound judgment are mine. "'I have insight, I have power. "'By me kings reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. "'By me princes govern, and nobles all who rule on earth. "'I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. "'With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. "'My fruit is better than fine gold. "'What I yield surpasses choice silver.' I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. I love this image of the treasuries. It's wisdom, not not money, that makes your treasuries full. So what we're seeing is what Tom Amberry was to free throws Proverbs 8 and 9, and I'm going to continue reading, are to wisdom and life. Let's jump down to verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Now, chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city. Calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all those who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. And that's God's word. So what I want to do this morning... Is I want to look at three benefits of wisdom. Or three reasons why wisdom is better than fine gold. And here's the first. Wisdom enables you to choose life, not death. Now look at this verse. At the end of chapter 8. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. And... But those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all who hate me love death. Now in chapter 7, which we didn't read, and in this final section we read in chapter 9, Solomon is warning his son about the dangers of the immoral woman, Lady Folly. But in between in chapter 8 and the first part of chapter 9, we meet another woman, Lady Wisdom. Now the one moves secretly at night. She speaks falsely. She speaks seductively. The other, Lady Wisdom, moves in the light of the day. She moves publicly. She speaks truthfully. The one, Lady Folly, offers temporary pleasures like a video game, let's say. The other, Lady Wisdom, offers eternal life and satisfies and promises to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And the outcomes of your choice between one or the other Is a matter of life and death. And that's the point in these two verses. In verses 35 and verse 36. Lady folly leads to death. Spiritual death ultimately. Perhaps even including physical death. But lady wisdom we're told in verse 35. Leads to life. Abundant life. So to reject Jesus is to reject wisdom. And to reject wisdom is to choose death. And the choice is yours, life or death. Now this is why Jesus will go on to say in Mark chapter 8, these what I think are super strong words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants, now notice the language of life and death, to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel uh, will save it. Do you see the paradox? Wisdom or, or, or life requires you die before you live. requires you die in order to live. It requires you die daily to your sin, uh, to your self-centeredness. So you're, to your tendency to take ultimate things and, or uh, good things and make them ultimate things. Uh, so you say, I can't, live out, I can't live without X. And whatever X is, however you fill in that blank, it becomes your idol. But I want you to hear me. Jesus Christ has come to kill Rob boo and to make me alive in him. Jesus Christ has come to kill you and make you alive in him. And here, Jesus tells us about the daily deaths as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to embrace daily. But denying ourselves, and let me back up here and look at verse 34, if anyone wants to be a disciple, he or she must, uh, you must. And this is, uh, is not a respecter of age. Each and every one of us, regardless of our situation, must deny themselves. But I want to say, having said that, that this is rocket, not rocket science. Uh, self-denial is what makes mothers great mothers, fathers great fathers. Employees, great employees. Self-denial is what makes athletes and musicians, great athletes and and, and musicians. And here Jesus is declaring, you can't be a disciple without continually, repeatedly uh, denying yourself, saying no to your, let's say, anger or your uh, bitterness, lack of forgiveness or, or, or your pride. You see, it's Mark chapter 8 that tells us how in this life as followers of Christ, we can move down the path of life, the path of wisdom. (coughs) So that's the first benefit. Let's go on to the second. Wisdom enables you to live justly, not unjustly. Chapter 8, my mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them, none of them is crooked or perverse. In other words, Jesus is saying his words are true and just. And according uh, to the next verse, verse 9, they are right. In other words, Jesus is telling us that we live in a world full of moral absolutes. That there is absolute right, there is absolute wrong. And right and wrong exist because God exists. But I don't want you to uh, miss uh, the larger reality or the larger uh, truth here because Here, Jesus is not calling you and me to merely live moral, upright lives, as important as that is. He is also calling us to live lives of compassion, where we treat people equitably, uh, uh, where we stand with the vulnerable and and those in need, where we have a, a social, a community conscience. And you may think, now where am I getting this? Well, look how the word is used in verse 15. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. A good king is one whose people prosper. They prosper because his decrees are just. They're morally right and they're compassionate. A good Christian is the one whose people prosper. And by that I mean uh, uh, your your friends, your co-workers, uh, your your family. That you are living life justly. You are living life uh, beautifully. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. Now, think about this in light of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So in the, good, in the story, the good Samaritan finds a man beaten, what, dying in the road, and the Jewish leadership passes uh, the man that's almost uh, dying or is dying uh, by. But the Samaritan stops, uh, takes care of the man, begins a process of healing, gets him uh, help, even though this man was ethnically his enemy. So what I want you to understand, what we have here in these verses in, in Proverbs chapter 8 is not just merely a call to character, to be sure it is that, but it's also a call to compassion. Some years ago, two of us were on the phone with Pastor Tony Evans, and I never, will never forget Tony Evans saying to us, you know, the gospel is not a social gospel, but the gospel has social implications community implications, just like it has family implications, singleness implications, work implications. Now let me uh, apply this uh, to what's happening around us today. And to do that, let's go to the end of the book of Proverbs and a couple verses in Proverbs chapter 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now what I want you to understand is that these aren't options. These two verses are commands. They're responsibilities each of us as followers of Jesus Christ need to step up to. As a matter of fact, when the chapter moves on and we have this wonderful description of the character of a godly woman, we see this as one of her main attributes. So look at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands uh, to the needy. Now all of this builds on the biblical teaching from the very beginning of the Bible That all humans are made in the image of God. That all humans, men or women, are equally valued, have equal worth and dignity. And therefore are to be protected and honored. And esteemed. So as C.S. Lewis said in his famous essay, The Weight of Glory, there are no mere mortals. Now this means several things for me. First of all, it means that to be a Christian is to stand against abortion and to stand for pro-life issues, solutions, and agencies. I happen to believe that abortion is the biggest social injustice of our modern era because it involves murder. The murder of the unborn. And having said that, let me just add, yes, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for all sins, past, present, and future. But abortion on demand is our society's greatest social moral evil. But let me go on because this means more to me. It means that while I affirm strong borders for our country, I uh, stand for welcoming and standing with and extending compassion to the refugees and the immigrants uh, uh, among us. Uh, this is a significant part of, of our work. Uh, as a mission organization where I chair the board, Greater Europe Mission, this wonderful mission organization, in light of what's going on. Uh, Social and politically and in Europe, and Greater Europe. It's what our own young missionaries, uh, Josh and Melanie Simmerman, have given themselves to on uh, the island of Lesvos in, in, in Greece. This is at the heart of what we are doing in West Chicago with our Pointe ministry that Saul just illustrated so uh, wonderfully a few minutes ago. It's why, as you will hear at the end, we will be uh, relaunching our children's summer camp on a modified basis this summer, where we provide uh, Monday through Friday, all day summer camp for for children who uh, desperately want it. And we are so thankful to do these things. This is what it means, I think, to be a man of God, to be a pastor. It's what it means to live justly. It's Proverbs 8, it's Proverbs 31. Now let me take a moment and talk about Black Lives Matter. I cannot support the organization Black Lives Matter. I cannot do that because if you look at their belief statement, which you can do online, they go on after talking about standing against racial injustice to say they exist, and now I'm quoting, to disrupt the nuclear-slash-traditional family, and to foster a queer-affirming network, and to free us from the belief that all people are heterosexual at birth. Now, uh, putting these two together is subtle. But it's sophisticated, and it's not unique to Black Lives Matter. Because what that means is they're alleging, if I affirm traditional marriage, and that gender is not fluid, but established at birth, then I'm a racist, just as a white supremacist is a racist. But the Bible separates these two issues. So on the one hand, the Bible condemns racism. uh, But on the other hand, the Bible affirms heterosexuality. Now having said that, I want you to hear me in light of Proverbs chapter 8, in light of Proverbs chapter 31, while I can't support the organization Black Lives Matter, I must affirm Black Lives Matter lowercase. And uh, uh, for me, this means when I'm talking to my kids, my adult children, and they're telling me about the suspicion and the Uh, injustices that some of their black friends experience simply because of the color of their skin, I weep. And I ask myself, what does chapter 31 verses 8 and 9 mean for me? What is this woman of noble character modeling that I I need to model? What do I need to take in and, and apply to my life? This week, I've been interacting with a wonderful uh, black man in our church, and near the end of the week, actually on Friday, he sent me an email, and, and just one sentence from his email. The phrase, black lives matter, is not meant to suggest that black lives matter more, but affirms that they matter as much as other lives. I love that. You know, one of the central points, back to the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that Samaritan lives matter. Paul's main point in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 is that when it comes to the church, Gentiles matter, not just Jews. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, uh, all people matter, the unborn. To people that are uh, rapidly approaching death. And we affirm that and and, uh, we stand for that. It's what it means to live a life that is true, just, and right. Now let's go on to the third benefit. Wisdom enables you to hate evil, not people. Look at this verse from Proverbs chapter 8. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, our Lord is saying, evil behavior and perverse speech. I went to the third largest high school in the state of Indiana. And in my senior year in high school, and this is back when the earth was just forming, it was a long time ago, racial riots were Uh, rampant in different parts of the United States and it was especially bad in our town of Elkhart Indiana northern Indiana town of about 40,000 things were hot my senior year so I attended this massive high school and things got so difficult in our community in our high school that policemen were stationed in the hallways at every corner in our school for months. On some days it felt like you were going to school in a prison. And I remember marching with my pastor to affirm racial equality. To stand against discrimination. And I wasn't even a Christian. It was intuitive to me. Now fast forward to 1995, my first year here as the pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. And Wheaton in 1995, and this is the spring of 95, was in turmoil because the Ku Klux Klan was planning a rally in Wheaton. So I preached on the subject of racial equality from a biblical perspective. I I, I tease the issues out. And a group of us, white pastors, black pastors, brown pastors, gathered together to publicly stand against it. As a matter of fact, our stand was so public that it made the front page of the Daily Herald. This is, it's me in the foreground. It's the first senior pastor of our um, Latino congregation on the right and um, a previous black pastor here in Wheaton. And we had gathered uh, to counter the message of the Ku Klux Klan. Now fast forward to 2006. The plight of the immigrant in the United States is hotly debated. And so I, along with a previous senior pastor of our Spanish-speaking congregation, wrote letters to the editors of the Chicago Tribune and the Daily Herald, asserting, again, a strong commitment to national borders, but a measured and vetted process so that the 11 million immigrants among us could find a path, a prudent path to citizenship. For me, uh, and there's a lot of biblical issues at play here, but for me, it was primarily an issue of the family. Again, the nuclear family, which is so central to healthy cultures. And it was horrifying to me to think uh, that we would split up families, some members of families that have been here for generations, some members of families that had um, received citizenship. Now, here we are today, 2020, and I'm not going to be silent because we're in the midst of racial turmoil again. And so the question I want to ask is, what does it mean To hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and every wicked deed. And there's lots of things I could say, but I want to say three things here. It means we must work to reverse Satan's evil efforts to accelerate the breakdown of the nuclear, the traditional family in all of our committees, our communities, from the inner city to the suburbs uh, to the small towns throughout the United States. We must understand that this is a ploy of the enemy. We must understand how central to civilization is a healthy intact family. Second, it means that we must as Christians stand against all forms of racism because we know it's not a black, a brown, a white, or a political issue. It's a biblical issue. And then third, because we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, right? We love our neighbor as ourselves, And it's not one or the other. It's not we're so focused on God that we ignore our neighbor. It's not that we're so busy loving our neighbor that uh, we ignore our our relationship with God. Uh, It's both. And, And because of that or of the overflow of that, we are proactive. We proactively acknowledge and address and enter into and empathize with those who experience discrimination, intimidation, A suspicion simply because of the color of their skin. Hating evil for me means I mourn over the black college student, now a Christian rapper, who was walking down the street of his college town when he was in college, and he was handcuffed, thrown into a police car, and taken to jail, (coughs) and sat and sat, waiting Knowing that he was innocent, but also knowing that if the white couple who was coming to see if he was the individual that had committed a crime against them said yes, he was, he would be thrown in jail simply because of the color of his skin. For me, hating evil means that I enter in, I try to understand what many of you, excuse me, what many of you uh, are experiencing as you raise your children like my own son, uh, like my own daughter, as she's raising uh, black and Latino children. And she has to prepare them for what other children will say along the way, uh, making fun of the color of their skin. And how she will teach them that their skin is beautiful because every single one of us are made in the image of God. Hating evil means you and I empathize with our black brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church because several of them have had their yards vandalized or burned because they're black. Hating evil is seeing it. It's naming it. It's getting involved in overcoming it. And it's seeking God, praying for change. And I want to say to you in love if we as the church don't stand, if we as Christians, which is the primary way this will happen, don't step into this moment and attempt to be light and attempt to be love, then I suggest we will just be increasingly marginalized because the people around us, the world around us will not see us lovingly acting out the social implications of the gospel. Now I'm finished and let me conclude by saying this. You and I aren't equal to this. I know I'm not equal to this. What we see in Proverbs 8, what we've just seen in Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 31. I mean, I'm busy. I have so many things coming at me, so many uh, things that can uh, distract me from loving my neighbors, myself. Uh, I, um, we all are self-centered in ways that we don't really understand. And we all love to be comfortable. We want to rest because uh, we're pressed and, and we're busy. And and, and so we aren't capable of uh, digging down and conjuring up this kind of love for God, this kind of love for our our neighbor. So where does it come from? It comes from looking to Jesus, looking to the Bible, uh, looking to the gospel. Because when we understand that we are so sinful that Christ had to die for us and so loved That he was glad to die for us. It's a game changer. You see the one heals our issues of superiority. Wait a minute. I'm so sinful that Christ had to die for me. And I'm just as sinful as my neighbor. The person on the other side of town. And that begins to um, uh, address uh, my issues of superiority. Superiority. But it also, on the other hand, uh, the second part of that statement addresses our issues of, uh, or feelings of inferiority, that I, I'm not up to this, that I don't really matter, that I really can't make a difference. Uh, because I tell myself over and over as I look to the gospel that Jesus Christ loved me so much, he was glad to die for me. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, Uh, Christ was given according to God's pleasure. You please God in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus. On a bleeding and dying Savior who loved us so much that in spite of who we are and what we have done, he gave himself for us. And church... That's what it means to love our neighbor. Let's do that, and let's do that together. Father, thank you for what you have given us in your son. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And we ask, God, that you would use your word to stir our hearts so that we can be humble, loving, affirming difference makers in our generation. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. my home. Wow. May that be your passion. May God give you a love for Jesus that is greater than any other love in your life. Church, let's not retreat individually, let's not be overwhelmed with fear even though there's all sorts of things to fear. But let's realize that God has appointed us for such a time as this. And let's rise to the occasion and deny ourselves. Love God. And love our neighbors as ourselves. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. May God bless you.
6: Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm Carol and I serve at our Tri-Village Church, the Streamwood Campus. Kids and families, over the next three weeks, we have a special opportunity for you to be the church in your neighborhood each week there's a special mission surprise a neighbor invite another family to play a game or host an ice cream social on your driveway as more people are out walking and staying local this is the perfect opportunity for you to introduce yourself and build some connections just as essential workers are needed during challenging times we want to be essential neighbors in our communities so to find out more Visit wheatonbible.org slash kids to get the guide, and if you're having fun with it, send us a photo or tag us on social. We'd love to see how the Lord is using you in your neighborhood. Each summer, the campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner together to create the Puente del Pueblo Summer Program. Students in this program learn how to succeed in school, they learn important life skills, and they have a lot of fun. Volunteers who are mentoring students through this program are making a lasting impact, both in their educational and academic opportunities. So starting July 6th, we will be starting our summer program with additional precautions outlined by health officials for COVID-19. So if you are ready to serve the next generation, visit wheatonbible.org volunteer to get signed up or to learn how else you can get involved training will begin through Zoom before the program starts on July 6th. We know there are a lot of new people that have been joining us on Sunday mornings and while you have been getting to know us, we would love to get to know you. So at 1230 today, there's an after service party on Zoom. Some of our pastors will be there and team members will be there as well. They would love to talk to you, talk a little bit about the message and just get to know you. To get the link, visit our campus Facebook page. Lastly, we want to let you know that we love praying for your prayer requests every week. Whatever you are facing this week, we want to pray for you. So text PRAYER to 630-260-1600. You'll get a response and you'll be able to send in your prayer requests so our staff can pray for you this week. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.